0: Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. This is a special Black History Month episode. I have here Director of Client Strategy at Ipor Rank Chantel Branch and our Office and Special Projects Manager Nefikara Aaron. I am so happy to have both of you here, so we can have get deep into the weeds (laughs) um, and have this conversation. How are you doing today?
1: Good. And uh, first and foremost. Happy
0: Black
2: History Month. <laughs> yeah, happy
0: Black History, History Month. Halfway through it. All right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited. Um, mm-hmm. Earlier this month, we did, the, uh, we did a fireside chat with some of the Black men in the org- organization, myself included. We had founder and CEO, Mike King, as well as account manager, Vital Parker. And we kind of just went through the experience of working in corporate America and what that life is like for Black men. And for me, this is a really exciting conversation to have because I now get to get the perspective of what that is like for Black women from my two coworkers. co-workers um, joy is so, joy. Yes, it, yes. <laughs> um, I think that we have, um, we all share a unique experience, but I do believe that um, for Black women in particular, um, there is, there's another side of it that, um, is you is a unique experience to specifically you two so i want to talk about some some of the experiences and just some of um the triumphs some of the tragedies (laughs) etc um that you both have experienced within your careers um so one of the things that we discussed as black men um but i'd love to get your your perspective on it is just like this idea of professionalism and um how you carry yourself in the workplace. And oftentimes we experience that through a different lens from whether it's our co-or co-workers or leadership. Um, and as Black women, I believe that you have a unique experience. So could you just speak to that? Um, I don't know, Chantelle, if you want to go first.
2: Why well, I me mean first?
0: I like, think you have so much experience. Old, yeah, Let the you old so person
2: go first. It's like, you're <laughs> old. You go first. Chantal. Tell us what it was like in the 1900s to work in corporate America. You got to chill out. Well, now that you've asked, let me tell you about the 1900s in corporate oh. America. So uh, professionalism and what does that mean? I believe that professionalism is a concept that's real. Yes. But I also believe for black people, men and women, being your professionalism being questioned comes in many forms. Um, as you all know, all of us on the co- this call understand what it's like to when you maybe get upset for someone to maybe say, oh, don't get so upset. But you've obviously seen your counterparts. I don't know. Once I saw a person throw a shoe. Um, this person was a white person. She threw a shoe, um, she screamed, yelled, and cursed out an entire floor of people. And I assumed I would never see her again. And there were excuses made for her misbehavior. um and then she was back two days later, as if nothing happened. and she was the she was in charge of some very important work. um whereas if you just simply express displeasure, about a circumstance in a, in a situation work-wise and you maybe say this is wrong or maybe if you happen to curse, because I would say that over the years cursing in the workplace has been more allowable than in the past. So even if you don't use a curse word, you just use firm language to say like, this is unacceptable to me, um, Your question, your professionalism is questioned. When you advocate for yourself, sometimes your professionalism is questioned. Sometimes when you question leadership, your professionalism is questioned. And um, I've worked in a lot of spaces that I was definitely the minority, like big time. You know, I knew the names of all the black people that I worked with. Um, I before getting onto the digital marketing side, I was in print. And the newspaper world is notoriously not a place where you see a lot of black faces outside of support roles. So when you get into places and spaces where you're questioning or you're asking for what you believe you deserve, if there's any type of energy that seemed, that could be said to be negative, it's like, well, you have to be more professional. So there's that. And then there's when customers sometimes use that against you where they come to your manager and say, oh, this person's unprofessional. And you'll hear things like, well, you know how you are. Whew. yeah
0: I, I, it's it's extremely heavy um so to that to that point Ne like have you experienced that you know some some of those similar experiences because I I know for for certain I have um
1: <laughs> I have, but I would definitely um suggest that people take Chantel's um practice a little bit more than mine because, I've just literally ignored people. <laughs> I would not recommend that um, and this is probably more of like a a millennial standpoint, but um I think oftentimes, if and when my professionalism was questioned, I wouldn't say anything in that moment because I feel like I would need to just kind of like gather myself, and um it was it would be something that I would revisit. And speak to the person about, um, I don't necessarily have a specific um, example at the top of my head, but
0: yeah.
1: um, I have literally just said, OK, and walked away. So, yeah. Would not recommend, though. Don't do that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I completely understand. And to that, to that point on professionalism, um, one of the things that I find really interesting is that for for us, it can be difficult just to exist as a black person um, in general in the world, but specifically in, in America. Um, and we face a different set of traumatic experiences um, pretty constantly um, to the, to the point where I do feel like um other, even, even internally within our culture, but, you know, externally, I feel like there are often times where people don't understand what it's like to see um, consistently see black bodies on television. Um, they don't understand what it's like to watch black um, men and women um, be killed at the hands of police. They don't understand the, the idea of seeing that every day and ex- being expected. To walk into work and still display the same level of professionalism, um, still get your work done. You're you're not really expected to be emotional um, over these people that you don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think there's a connection between Black people in which um, we know these we know these people, we know their struggles, um, and we know these stories all too well. Um, so for you guys, what is that experience like um, when you experience something like watching Brianna Taylor on, on television and then you experience going through the trial um, and every day when you're expected to come into work and just do your job um, in those moments where maybe you don't feel like doing your job <laughs> because there are more important things at hand? Um, can you explain what it's like to not have... Um, to feel like you don't necessarily have a support system internally, um, within, like within the workplace and just like, what that, what is that like? Like, how, how, how does that feel? Um, and how do you navigate those feelings?
2: Do you want to go first? Yeah,
1: I think it's very, um, stressful. Right. And I think it leads to you, um, and i know you know this is coming up but i think it also leads into imposter syndrome and just you double you know doubling back on the things that you probably know how to do innately right and then it also leads to you doing your work incorrectly so um not having that support it's more so of that, that you're just putting on a mask right to kind of just get through the day and of course the day drags right and of course people just sometimes people really just have no clue as to how you're feeling and there is a lack of empathy. So the way that you have to move throughout your day isn't as necessarily as easy as everyone else is moving through their day. So um, I feel like that's not the experience that I had here because I was at Apple Ring during the pandemic, but it was definitely stressful because it, it felt like every day there was something happening. If it wasn't, Brianna Taylor. There was somebody else getting shot. There were things happening within our own communities, and even recently, retired niggas, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I don't necessarily want to talk about it. And sometimes, I think it's important for your coworkers to understand that that's not something that you necessarily want to talk about at that moment in time. But to just keep that in mind that that is something that might be present within, you know, the person's community or just them having to go through everyday life so and then for Chantel I have a question too like how did you deal with that being client facing as well
2: well I'm going to take you guys back to George Zimmerman yeah okay um so when George Zimmerman was acquitted I came to work and I was very pissed and my manager at the time who was a white man um he asked me a question and I was like, well, you know, with everything that's going on, I'm just like, not here. And he was like, what's going on? And I remember looking at him. And he was the nicest person or whatever. You know, we lived in the same city, New York. And I was just like, you don't know? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did hear about that. And it's like, And I remember an older colleague got up and came to my cubicle after he walked away, and he was really kind. He's since passed away, but he came. He just talked to me, and he we talked about it, and you know, like how messed up everything was, and I think we maybe talked about what we were going to do with our day because I, previous to COVID, client facing meant putting your shoes on and strutting your stuff into a taxi, subway, or whatever, and going to see clients and sit in their spaces. So imagine wearing that. And then having to sit down and like come off the elevator and just get into it. And you have to do it. But knowing that people had no idea what was going on with you. And these are people who worked in media mm-hmm. was very illuminating. And it happened repeatedly, repeatedly. People would just. It just wasn't something that was real <laughs> to them. And it's not everyone, but it's enough people where there's an impact. Um, I think people have gotten better about having consideration, um, so I think we're in a better place in 2013 when it comes to that. So even if people are feigning or having faux empathy, at least they're trying to address what is potentially ailing their colleagues, whether they're black, white, or whatever. But yeah, I remember that very specifically with that with that um, George Zimmerman verdict being like, and just real remembering because I forgot. It's not a safe space.
0: On the you know on the point of professionalism and just like the idea of that, I think that's something that we talked about earlier, uh, Chantelle, you talked about somebody throwing a shoe, um, <laughs> and I'm <was> just wondering <laughs> about that's insane. Okay. The you know maybe some of the microaggressions that you both as black women have experienced throughout your careers, any stories that you have, um, and how you know to that point. Um, your response can often be labeled as unprofessional. And oftentimes people see, um, you know, people throw rocks and then hide their hand. Um, and then you're left to deal with um, to clean the cleanup of everything else. And there, there's always, you always feel like there are high expectations for you. So can you just speak to some of those microaggressions that you've experienced and what it was like to try to, <laughs> to try to navigate that where you're like, I feel like I have to say something and I feel like I have to advocate for myself, but I also, you know, again, we talked about this in the other fireside chat as people labeling you the angry black man and nobody wants to be labeled the angry black woman in the workplace. So yeah, you just talk to, to speak to that. Now for
2: Cara, do you wanna go first? <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how much time do we have on microaggression? <laughs> are we clear about what microaggressions are so like the fact that like a microaggression is when someone just says like, a little oh well you know it's a little dig or a, it's just a question i just asked you a question
0: that's like, a favorite of mine
2: <laughs> are you the first person in your family to go to college or oh, your parents were married? Oh. So it's just you and your sister, like no other siblings. Hmm. Oh, well, you're she's different from you. You're different. How am I different? Tell me. Different. Okay. Or uh, we could just, I mean, we only have a certain amount of time. I could keep going. <laughs> you know. Um, you know, sassy, watch sassy when you're speaking to black women. Also watch motherly. I'm not your mom. Mm. If I was your mom, I could hit you for what you just said to me, but I'm not. I'm a colleague. I'm not your mom. I'm never your mom. I'm actually no one's mom. So don't do that because that's another way to kind of like diminish. <laughs> if you understand how people perceive black women, there are only two ways sometimes that they perceive us. Either they perceive us as a sexless motherly figure or a, a uncontrollable whore. So either way, that doesn't work for what we're trying to do because we're in a work environment. So what are you doing? Um you write well. Seems like you know more words than me. I do. You know, that one's that's a big one. You write well. You speak well. I, I always say it's the only language I speak. Mastering it would have been. It's. It was super easy. You know, what's it like to live in Queens? It's cool. Um, what else? Once I was carrying a Gucci bag as it was, and this lady, who I don't know what she was thinking, walked up to me and said to me, Where did you get that bag from? And I looked at her and I remember looking at the bag and I said, the Gucci store. And she was like, Oh, oh, well, you know, and I was like, I I don't, I don't know. Where else will we get Gucci bags from? I mean, Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale's, Macy's. But what? What were you inferring, sis? Because Gucci bag from the Gucci store, like where you go to get bags. So, I mean, I could keep going. Yeah, I think these are like, questions that just I think like we got the point. Yeah, yeah.
0: You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Would you ask this question? Would you pose this question mm-hmm. to your white colleagues? Would it ever happen? I mean, and to a point that we we spoke to um before we hopped on uh this call before we started the episode, we were talking about um the black woman's experience with black men, and I think that these are these microaggressions are things that on on your end you've probably been on the receiving end of these from black men as well um not really, because, not really
2: well, everybody sit down <laughs> um not really um. Because more often than not, I didn't see very black men, very many black men in corporate America. And typically, black men in corporate America, up until very recently, didn't really hang with black women like that in the office because their maleness allowed them to fold into the maleness of it all. So um, what you would find is it was almost like not always. But frequently enough to notice that if the person hadn't determined that they would like to have sex with you, they didn't really communicate with you that much if they didn't have to. Conversely, there's been numerous articles written about how black women function in corporate America, because it also it tends to be like a cross-functional socialization. So you could be the VP, you could be a manager, a salesperson, an admin and an intern. And those people spend time together, that does not always move you towards advancement because you're not being invited to the tables where someone's going to tap you and pull you. You're looking for comfort. So you could be like a VP and your only friend is like an admin and y'all are making a friendship, but from a business relationship, you two are not going to be able to do what the bros do, which is kind of come together and elevate and bro culture. And the further some, not all Black men get away from the association to Black women makes them more palatable to be brought in to the fold because we're just bros.
0: Yeah, I think that that leads into a, a, a topic that um, I really want to discuss, which is something that recently that we've seen is that studies are showing that Black women are among The most educated population in the country. Um, And yet and still, um, there's still, you know, white men are still eight times as likely to reach the executive C-suite level roles. Um, So with that being said, um, there are two questions that I have about this. Like knowing those numbers, like how do you deal with imposter syndrome and just that feeling of potentially like knowing that you're qualified and then still seeing people um you know of course like ex- excel in their careers maybe a little bit faster than you might have throughout your career, knowing that you're more qualified than them. How do you handle like the feeling of not being good enough like looking around you know to your left and your right and like knowing that you're producing quality work, but not. Being able to break through and get the promotion, or to be recognized for your work, and sometimes, you know, as a black woman and as a black man, I know I've experienced. Sometimes you'll even have work that you've put a lot of time and effort into, where other people are taking full credit for it, um, whether it's campaigns or anything like that. So I would love to hear like your perspective on just how what your approach is and what your thoughts are on. Um, I think
1: that. The good thing about this is that we're, you know, we're in 2023, right? And there are a couple of things to that. If you have a discussion with um, you know, your managers and anyone within the company and let them know how you're feeling and it's still not being um addressed, leave because there will always be somebody else that will appreciate. There will always be another company that will appreciate um the work that you're doing. And I think a big thing as well that I started to do is, even amongst like my friend group, I talk about how I feel about certain things and even like sharing salary um, goals and just general um, career goals. It helps for people within um, different fields for them to chime in on their experiences, what they've done, if they've faced um, a similar situation. And, um, how they dealt with it, and I think having that set of transparency among people throughout um different fields, it also gives you a different perspective on how to maybe address things within your field that maybe hasn't been addressed before so um, as far as imposter syndrome, like i I just had to kind of settle within myself that. The more that I kind of settle within that, the worse that I'm going to get. So I had to really like settle into just like saying like you wouldn't have gotten this job or whatever job it is if you didn't know what you were doing. And clearly, you know what you're doing. So the more time you waste feeling unsure, the worse things are going to get. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's amazing insight, I think. Um, I think in, obviously at varying levels, but I think we all sometimes, um, especially when you're early on in your career, um, it can be easy to slide into that happy to be here um, type of thought process where maybe you're not willing to advocate for yourself if you're doing the work for, um, you know, for things like promotions and, and higher salary and things of that nature. So I think it's a really, really good um mindset to, to just tell yourself that you belong. Like, well, if you made it through the interview process (laughs) and they hired you, they hired you for a reason. Like they didn't spend all this money to go through this onboarding process because it's more than just your salary. They brought you here for a reason. And there's, you know, there's a reason why they believe in the work that you do. So I think it's important to settle into that idea and find ways to remind yourself of who you are.
2: Yeah. For me, I do not think that I've ever really suffered from imposter syndrome. I think that what I suffered from was um, no longer believing that people were going to do the right thing. So, the opposite I would say of imposter syndrome is this person is going to eventually do something shitty to me. Something, Mm. this is going to happen over and over and over again. People who are less smarter than you are going to be promoted repeatedly. People who are less smarter than you are going to get opportunities repeatedly or chances. Repeatedly, Or if they're choosing between you and someone else for to who to lay off first, they're not going to choose you. They're going to choose you because they're going to prioritize the other. And I think for me, that took a heavy toll on me. And professionally, about seven years ago, I just had like a terrible I was in a terrible cycle and I stepped out of the corporate chase to give myself a little bit of a break and basically worked in a role that was below me in every way, shape or form. But in order to regain clarity about what I have to offer, what I understand, I needed to go into that space so that when I came out of it, I would be in a much better place to take on what was left of my professional working life cycle. And that time, that space, what I learned put me in a position to kind of meet this organization just in time and to do all of the things that I had already been doing well elsewhere and move myself along professionally um, in a pretty quick turn simply because I took that break, released a lot of that and then went where I was seen. That makes sense.
0: That makes perfect sense. I love
2: that. Yeah. Nothing that I'm doing. Like everything I'm doing, I was taught how to do in these large corporate spaces. But for whatever reason, many of them, there were certain decisions that were made that I wasn't the one at this point, that point, and the third point. I've worked for people who I was smarter than for at least 75% of my career. I've tried the, let me feed it to you. And then you're going to be kind and say, all right, let me grab you and pull you up. I've tried the, let me hold back. I've tried the let me try to go around you. I've tried every single tactic to get to today because with the exception of two people that I can think of very specifically, not including Mike King, two people who I've worked for that I knew that their intention was for me to go further, and both of them were women. But again, I've been working since the 1900s, so... And only one of, and one is a woman of color, so to speak. But again, so my entire career was lensed around the decisions, the feelings, and the choices of white males. Hmm. So imposter syndrome, no, it's like, oh no, 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 I belong in all of it. I, be, all of this, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. Right. So. It made me not that great about salary negotiation, but I fixed that. (laughs) I think I've got that. um, I even got my arms around that as well. But um, yeah, my lack of trust and suspicion and what's the other word? Uh, Skepticism when it comes to my professional career, I've had to work through it. So also therapy, but just taking that break and working in a space and trying to figure out like, all of my valuable gifts. That was a learning experience. Shout out to that organization. I see you every once in a while checking my LinkedIn.
0: So you said that, um, you said that one of them was a woman of culture. So what, a woman of culture. So. so
2: (laughs) Yes, I I don't know if she would describe herself. I think she would describe herself.
0: So what was the first time for This is just an open question for either of you. What was the first time that you actually saw a Black woman or worked with a Black woman doing what you do and were able to maybe, even if it wasn't like direct mentorship, um, kind of just use them as a source of representation and kind of look at what they were doing and model it? Did you ever have, like, did you have, what was your first experience seeing somebody and being like, oh, you're like me?
1: Um so seeing that I have a dual <laughs> career I would say right so more so corporate and then music um I actually interned at an investment um company and at that time one of like the top investment bankers um was a black woman and I I didn't really know anything about investment banking before I went to go work for that company and um, she was literally the only Black woman on, within that team. And at that time, um, it wasn't anything that I had even thought about because I didn't know any investment bankers per se, right? And I knew how busy she was. And she still made time to, you know, explain things to me, ask me if I had any questions. And this is in between her dipping and dodging between clients, like physically going to see clients and whatnot. Now, although I don't want to necessarily go into investment bank or anything in the financial sector, um, from a corporate standpoint, um, she really solidified um, just the point of making time for people that may not necessarily have their way and sharing whatever resources that you have with them. Now, from a music standpoint, I would say um, my friend, who's also my producer, V Notes, and she's been doing music full time for years. And she completely made that transition before it was like a a popular thing to do, um, you know, online. And I've seen that she's been able to foster, manage relationships. She has a very high standard of work, quality of work. And, um, she is the most popular person that is not online. So that says something to her work because literally everyone knows of her and she is not on, she's not really active online. So I think between the two of them is just really making time for people who take their jobs seriously or take, um, just a level of curiosity to a point where maybe it could be something for them later on, you know? So shout out to them.
2: Um, my first uh, black woman that I saw uh, in corporate America was my mom. She worked in corporate America for my entire life. Um, she worked her way up. She was an accountant and she um I don't know, we saw her get dressed every day and she was the lady with the sneakers on and her socks with her work outfit. And then from there, she went to driving the work because her parking was covered. And as she kept growing within her career and taking opportunities and and just taking the steps up and talking to us about that um, and that growth and how to conduct yourself in those spaces and what not to do. Big one, don't share a lot of your business. You don't want these people in your business kind of energy um, very much. You need to not be seen as someone that could be taken advantage of in any way, whether it's passing their place with you sexually or trying to have you kind of come out of character. Um, all of that stuff that, you know, the elders taught us, you know, the code switching and the being better than everybody, because that's what you have to do in order to be considered, which is not healthy at all. It's the opposite of the imposter syndrome that y'all talk about, the idea that you have to be better than the person who came up with the thing in order to be seven rungs down because you know, you know they're always going to question why you're here type of thing. So it was a lot of good and bad. And then I would say in college I had an internship in Brooklyn with someone who um, a marketing professional who gave me gems for the older you know, in your 20s about how to conduct yourselves in the event, because I thought about wanting to work in media, in the music industry. So she gave me a lot of gems about what not to do and where not to go and what not to say yes to, to keep myself safe and to keep my name clean. But that's the thing. They were both counseling me from a position of that you are always going to be in battle Hmm. about safety, about the safety of your reputation about the safety of your reputation in every way, whether it was your reputation sexually or your reputation professionally. Don't ever date anyone. Don't ever, don't ever, don't ever. So 35% of people meet their partners at work, but everyone is saying to you "Now you know, if you do this, everyone's going to know and they're going to see you in this way, that way, or the third way. Whereas you see your counterparts running through departments, just figuring life out, and it's not a big deal going on. I remember being taught. I've, if my mom can see me, she knows I don't do this no more. But I remember being taught to have one drink at a work function. and Then the rest of the drinks need to be ginger ale because nothing that you do is going to be forgotten. So you don't even you don't even go to happy hour and get a little tipsy with these people. Always on guard. That is very oppressive. But in order to try to get where you need to go, now you have to be like a super person, which is not uncommon. You hear this as a play with Black women across the board, but we spend more of our time at work than we do at home. So now you can't even drink if you drink because if you get drunk, and meanwhile, people are throwing shoes, people are getting <laughs> drunk at Christmas parties, people are getting caught having sex with people that aren't their spouses, people are doing all this stuff. And you're just a perfect good little girl and you're still not really going where you're supposed to go professionally. So what's it all for? So kind of shout out to the millennials for being like f half of that because it doesn't, it's not changing anything. It's just, it was like oppressive and respectable for no real good reason. And to really no real benefit. Like. But
1: to their, but to their defense, right? Like that's, what they knew and that mm-hmm. that's probably a very watered down version of what their mothers had to you know go through and we're only we're
2: and not, not mother's mother. had no concept yeah. think about right. it right, they right. A concept of what to tell you to do
1: right because you know women in the workforce and then the level of independence that we have now you know is something that you know our great grandmothers couldn't even that they couldn't even imagine.
2: So yeah, they just wanted you to be well read and well spoken. Right. Hmm? They really wanted, they pushed well read, well spoken. Well read, well spoken. I remember my yeah. great aunt saying to me, I'm so happy for you, I'm so proud of you, because you're gonna get to go to school and you're gonna get to go to college and you might even become a secretary. And to her, yeah, where she had come from is she was born in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And she had lived a life. I think she worked as a domestic. She lived in Brooklyn. She had a beautiful life, a fly life, honestly. She didn't live in the South. She didn't want to. She lived her city life. But to her, the next step was they let girls like you in offices now. You need to be a secretary. And I was like, secretary? Nah, I'm going for the gold. But to her, that was the goal. Yeah. You weren't working in anyone's house. You weren't working under like a person you were going to go and you're going to have freedom. And she's like, and you'll have your own money and you can do what you want. And you don't got to take shit off of nobody. And that literally was what, that was the other side of it. I was being taught, like, go for it. Do everything you want to do because you have your own, you don't got to take shit off anybody. Like, yeah, Even if it's yeah.
1: <laughs> if, if beyond, you know, their knowledge of whatever it is that we want to do. I think that even though we are, we still have to face certain things, right? Um, The hope is that, you know, the next generation is going to have to, are these things going to be eliminated overnight? No, but hopefully, you know, with everything going on and hopefully, people or coworkers being more mindful of the world surrounding them and outside of their lives, um, the next generation will be in a better place and it will be uh, much further And more of a giant leap than anything that
2: we probably could even imagine, right? I appreciate your optimism. I am not as hopeful as you, but again, I am sitting in a space of skepticism because I listen. I've heard people who are younger people say different versions of things that boomers, that white boomers, have said to me, but in a different tone, because that stuff doesn't die. So I'm not really what we are to do. Um, aside we don't from have the... to do
1: anything. <laughs> That's not our job. Like <laughs> we don't have to do anything, but um, be our, the best version of, of ourselves. But um, I feel like people have have gotten better at mixing certain things in the bud as well. So we'll <laughs> see. I, I'll I'll take the optimism
0: <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's ever going to go away completely. But I, I don't think it's going to go. One of the great things that's coming back is shame and <laughs> shaming people for being for, 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 for uh just so, so some of those things like the microaggressions, like the, the the overt and covert racism. Like I think it's a good thing that people are being shamed to at least keep it out of the office. <laughs> um and, and and if you want to go back to keeping these things behind closed closed doors by all means I would love for it to be like a but but
2: (laughs) I would tell you that in the last five years I had a person get mad at me because I would not let them touch my hair in the workplace
0: yeah Mm. I, I believe that I think last year um we were doing the Black Music Month webinar and we got an email from somebody who wasn't a registrant, but decided to go through the registration page so that they could send out an email to tell us how offended they were that we were running a webinar during Black Music Month for Black musicians and trying to, um, just to try to educate them on marketing in the music industry. So I think it's going to be here, but I mean, the the idea that you would go through an entire registration form to submit that to a Black-owned business is You know, that's something. But
2: (laughs) the audacity never shocks me. I don't believe that. I I am not optimistic. I just know that the tools I will use to fight are different than before. That's all, and I can spot it way faster.
0: So to that point, I think one of the one of the things that I want to wrap this up with is uh, obviously we all work for a black owned business um, currently and throughout our corporate careers. um, We haven't. So what you know, could you just take a couple of minutes to just describe the differences um, that you experience now working at IPR um, as opposed to some of the other places that you've worked in your career as a black woman?
1: I would say this is the most informal yet formal corporate job that I've had because, you know, speaking to Mike, he's like, Hey, what's up? Yo, I need something. And clearly I'm not like offended. He's like, you're, I'm like, hello, how are <laughs> you? <laughs> how may I help you? <laughs> so I think even um, having the same cultural similarities, um, they help a lot. Like it, it's, it feels, it's, this is the most interesting job that I've ever had, mainly because of the group of people that I've worked with, but mainly because that I, the fact that I work for a Black-owned company. Um, I understand um, the goals of the company, and it's more so from a standpoint of, like, I'm proud to be able to contribute whatever it is that I can in order to help Mike and the company get to where it is that um, he and we want to go, mainly because working in different environments, you understand how hard it is for, for him to even get to this point, right? And um, it's it's been very, very interesting um, journey during
2: the time that I've been here. So, yeah. So I don't I don't use the word manifestation. It's just not a word I use. But it was brought to my attention that I kind of manifested this job, sort of. Um, I was having a conversation, like I told you, I took a break and I was working in a role that was definitely below my skill set and knowledge base, but it paid the bills. Um, and I remember sitting down with my podcast partner, and I was like, I just want to work in this place where I don't have to explain myself maybe I can work for an organization that's like founded by like a black woman. And then I don't have to explain myself and my existence, period. Because a lot of what is happening to black women in corporate America, because a lot of people don't know us, is trying to explain yourself. So the fact that I ended up getting a phone call from a person who did not identify themselves as the owner of an organization and have a conversation that led to a conversation that led to a conversation that led to a job offer all without me sending a thank you note, it all worked out. Um, And even though Mike is not a black woman, Mike is a man that I've found in working with him has a tremendous amount of respect for black women understanding and appreciation um he's pretty good at letting us speak and think and do in a way that i don't think everyone's always that equipped to do um if black men were doing the best things they could do in corporate america it would be that one thing that he does which is allowing listening considering trusting and giving giving space um that's what the hope is when you're working in a space like that. So for it to be that, because I was skeptical. I was like, Oh shit, is this going to be some bullshit? (laughs) It wasn't, it's not you guys. It's been almost four years. It's not. Um, And and Mike would say things to me when I first joined the, you know, we're going to do great. We're going to do great things. And I was just like, we'll see, we'll see. And then we just kept doing great things and more great things and more great things. But I was like, All right, he's okay. Because I'm, it's very, you can't, I'm not an easy sell. Um, And there's been times that I've had to, like, I've seen things even occur with him. where I'm like, hey, you think this is happening because you're black? And I don't know how he feels about that. But like, it was like corporate things. And I'm just me as a black woman, just being like, I don't know. I see like my brother here being treated in a way or being positioned in a way that feels very, not cool. Like, because again, I've been working since the 1900s, so I've seen what bosses do, I've seen what managers do, I've seen what leads do, I've seen what people accept from people. So sometimes when I hear things or see things positioned in a certain way, I'm like, hmm. hmm. Are you sure it's as bad as you say it is, or is it just terrible coming from them?
0: Hmm. Oh my! This has been.
2: You can feel free to cut that part out if you want to. <laughs> but I'm just saying yeah. it's not, it it is being black in corporate America is difficult. We are, I believe, yeah. I only say 13, but I think we might be 20% of the population is a lot of people are confused. Um yeah. and but our representation in corporate America is still too low, considering how college educated um folks are. But and I'm like a slacker in my social group. I would say 80% of the women that I'm friends with all have master's degrees.
1: But you know what too, really quickly, um, I think a lot of people probably don't even want to deal with it. And that's maybe why you might see a rise in entrepreneurship within our community as
2: well, because it's probably be just better off. Yeah. See, my age group has side hustles. They don't, We were we were socialized to, no, 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 no. How are we going to pay these bills until we're 66? So. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> up with, it's, it's definitely millennial women. I'm so impressed. Mm. And God bless. But I will definitely say the Gen X ladies are like, but I'm going to have two jobs. It's going to be nuts. I'm going to have two jobs. Try to be attractive. Try to work out. Try to do, try to do, try to do. But like, no, y'all just cut and run. And I love that for y'all.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah i mean with the way that the economy looks it could be two jobs for a lot of us <laughs> going for it. but this has been an incredible conversation i would love for us to continue the conversation which we will be doing through our ipr black 365 page on our website um, i love it we have the black history month webinar coming up mm-hmm on February 23rd, where we'll be going through the marketing industry and how Black culture has impacted it. Um, and so I'm Aaron Johnson, Senior Digital Marketing Specialist here at Rank. This has been an episode of the Rankable Podcast. Is there anything that Chantel or Nefcar that you would like to promote? <laughs> Thank you again for listening to our special Black History Month episode of the Rankable Podcast. As mentioned before, we'll be having our Black History Month webinar all about the influence and impact of Black culture on the marketing industry on February 23rd at 3 p.m. And we will also have our IPR Black 365 page of our website launching as well, where you can find resources, as well as some more content from Black professionals. Thanks again, as always, like and subscribe, share it anywhere where folks are willing to listen if you know anybody who's into this type of content. We'll catch you next time.